Hello from the State Bar of Michigan Annual Meeting 2016 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Joanne Hathaway. I'm Tish Vincent. I'm Julie Fershman. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. Uh, thank you for tuning in, listeners. We're at the State Bar of Michigan annual meeting here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have three ladies joining us today to talk about a project that's, a, that's been going on here. But uh, before we get started on that, let me introduce them in turn. I, to my left, I have uh, Miss Joanne Hathaway. So why don't you tell our listeners more about yourself? Where do you work? What do you do? And what do you do for the State Bar of Michigan? Thank you, Lawrence. We're very pleased that you're here with us today. Uh, I am a practice management advisor with the State Bar of Michigan's Practice Management Resource Center. Okay, and we have uh, Tish Vincent also joining us. Yes, I am the program administrator for the State Bar of Michigan's Lawyers and Judges Assistance Program. And Julie. Hello there. I'm Julie Fershman. I am a shareholder with the law firm of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith. I'm in its Southfield, Michigan office, and I am a litigator. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're here to talk about the Futures Task Force, and I understand there's a report that came out of the Futures Task Force, and some of the elements are being studied, and I guess they're being implemented. So my understanding, because we did a little pregame, is that uh, Ms. Tish Vincent knows quite a bit about that. So why don't you kick it off with, with some questions about it? Yes. Uh, the, the Futures Task Force... Julie, you were the co-chair of the task force, and I would like you to just talk a little bit about that, share with the listeners what the, what the goals and emphasis were. Absolutely. Um, after the bar had a meeting, uh, it was a futures meeting, which also included attendance from the then, then ABA president, uh, the bar took the initiative of establishing a task force to look at the unprecedented change affecting the profession, the challenges to the profession, and regulatory hurdles that keep us from moving forward. Um, the task force was created by our then State Bar President, um, and at the time it was Tom Rombach, with the assistance of other people at the bar. Quickly, to give you a general idea of what they did, um, it took planning to find the right people for the task force, and it was composed of members of the Michigan Supreme Court, actually one who served on it. We had legislators, judges, practitioners from all over the state, a very diverse group of attorneys, different practice sizes, um, just about every type of facet of the profession that we could get on that task force we did. We created principles, guiding principles to help us in thinking through what we were going to do, how we were going to do it. I wish time would allow me to go through them, but unfortunately I can't. We set a very tight schedule. Um, the schedule was so tight that we began in March of 2015 and we worked all the way to October. But what we did was we developed three committees, one dealing with affordability and access, looking really for ways to expand access to justice and looking at hurdles. The second was the 21st Century Practice Task Force, looking at how we do what we do um, and looking at issues that can help lawyers, everything from uh, multidisciplinary practices uh, to other issues of specialty certification. Uh, and finally, modernizing the regulatory machinery, looking at regulations. These were the, I guess, the, the structural parts of what we did. I'd love to share with you some content. Um, if you'd like, I can talk about what's up today at the annual meeting from it. Great, Julie, thank you. Um, if you could talk about some of the highlights um, of the findings of the committee and talk about those that the committee and others are beginning to work on today to implement that would be of interest to our members. Absolutely. There was a lot of interest in certain topics that the committee was considering. Interest in terms of people who really liked it 
or interest in terms of fear and what it might do to our profession. I'll give you a couple of examples and then I'll take you to where we are today. Um, one of the issues was multidisciplinary practices, which would be lawyers joining forces with, in the same office, uh, financial planners, uh, CPAs, and of course splitting profits or foreign ownership of law firms. That is a hot button issue. The Canada Bar, interestingly, has come out in favor of multidisciplinary practices. It's happening in other areas of the world. That was on our radar screen, studied carefully. The result was we decided to study it further determine whether there's even an opportunity to pursue it here in Michigan. So for those who are looking to see if we were on board or off board, we're on the fence right now on that one. But the more hot button issues of limited licensed legal technicians, um, which has been hitting the, the legal profession around the country in terms of interest, we looked at that too. Quick example, that would be in the state of Washington, which passed a proposal allowing people who don't have law degrees are not exactly paralegals, but with a limited license can, in, on their own, render help to people. Uh, that was an option that we considered for Michigan. That didn't go anywhere, as, as you know, Joanne. Yes, I do. Just a question about that, Julie. I know when, we, when uh, President Hubbard of the ABA came out to kick off the task force, that was a topic that was hotly talked about at that meeting, and it was in its infancy at that time. Do you find now that that's been in, implemented for approximately a year, going on two years? How has that been working for the state of Michigan? Has that been a successful initiative? The limited state license of, legal technician? That's correct. Well, state that's of Washington. in Washington right now. Or Washington. Did well, I, I think I one of the Michigan. best oh, indicators of the LLLTs, it, we, we're with you on that, Joanne. Okay. <laughs> the best indicator of how it's doing is the fact that, to my knowledge, nobody's signing on to it. Now, there may be proposals in progress right now that I'm not aware of, and perhaps we're all not aware of, but you're not hearing other people jumping on board so quickly. Maybe they're watching, or maybe it's an indication that there just isn't the interest in it right now. I know there isn't in Michigan. Um, today, here at the annual meeting, uh, the Representative Assembly is looking at a very important proposal, which is LSR, as we call it, limited scope representation, or put in another way, unbundling. That's a hot-button issue because there are ethical regulatory restrictions to lawyers taking on discrete tasks and helping people while they do the work on their own. If the unbundling proposal uh, gets enough support, and if the Representative Assembly supports it and passes it, it will then go to the Supreme Court. And we may see some changes that could affect how we work. It might be a, a really positive thing for a lot of lawyers. Because as we know, there's a clientele of people who can't afford full scope representation, but the discrete tasks might be workable. So we'll be watching that. Um, the only other one to mention is specialty certification. We did support it in the task force, and there is a proposal today in front of the Representative Assembly for optional specialty certification, which would involve testing, uh, that type of oversight, and it would be potentially a good marketing tool. I, maybe you'd agree on that one. I do. I, I would agree on that. A question for you. If that does pass, do we have any idea or do you have any idea where that testing would occur and who would who would actually do the testing? Unfortunately, I don't know that. Um, I know that one of the concerns about the specialty certification is that the testing have integrity uh, and that there be a continuing education component. And that really tied into an issue the bar's been facing for years, as you're aware. Should we support mandatory continuing legal education, as so many bars nationwide do? 
Michigan has taken the stand, as you're aware of, in many years, for many years, no, we do not support mandatory continuing education. But I know that would be a large component of the specialty certification as a manner of protecting the public, making sure the designation means something. Yes, so if the, if the specialty certification is embraced, then a certain number of continuing legal education requirements would be put forward for a certain specialty. Is, is that a correct understanding, Julie? That's my understanding. And yeah. it's sort of the carrot to encourage continuing legal education for those who want that type of special uh, designation. Now, the question was who would provide it, and unfortunately I don't have the answer to that. I'm sure that would be part of the proposal to determine if it's going to go through ICL, the Institute for Continuing Legal Education, through the bar, probably not something the bar wants to get involved in or some other source. That's still to be worked out. Correct. Julie, thank you very much for sharing about the task force. That's very informative. And now on another note, Julie, we understand that you have a niche practice, and we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that practice and also what advice you might give to people who are considering setting up a niche practice. Sure, I'd be happy to. Part of my law practice includes an area called equine law, which is horse-related law, and I've been doing that type of work, even though I've been a lawyer 30 years, I've been doing that for almost all of 30, except for maybe seven for anybody listening who might want to set up a niche practice, as I have, I have a couple of thoughts, and I'm learning, I've learned it the hard way. Maybe I can help people along uh, to, to kind of rush through it a bit better. Um, first is learn all you can about the niche that you would like to include in part of your practice. In my case, I didn't have the internet. I didn't have a lot of access to information, but I spent weekends for, for almost a year at the law library reading everything I could, gathering as much information as I could to learn about what I wanted to set up. So the advice now is much easier for people, which is just go online, gather information, organize it. You may find trends. I did. And I was able to learn about it, write about it. Now I practice within it. That trend is equine liability and legislation. Um, so the first advice is learn all you can. Second, um, teach. When you learn, you will also hopefully be in a position to share what you've learned. You can compartmentalize it, organize it, and I did that. And I began writing articles and speaking around the country by invitation because people wanted to learn about this. You can do that as well. At first I flew myself out, now they fly me out. The point is that when you've learned enough that you have a good understanding of different facets of your practice, if you can share that and teach others, it helps you learn better because you can organize your thoughts and really find a way to uh, carry forward the substance of, of your area of practice. But you've also taught people about the law, and it's a win-win. You've taught yourself, you've educated yourself, and now you're educating others about their legal rights and about the law. There's never a downside. Uh, finally, blog. Websites and blogging, strongly recommended. Equinelaw.net is one of my sites. Um, equinelawblog.com is my blog. By feeding content, I'm continuing to learn more about the area of practice. We can do that, and I think for anybody who wants a niche, you can help that practice grow. Wonderful, and thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie, for joining us and sharing your information and knowledge. It's been very Wonderful. I'll turn it back to Lawrence now. Well, thank you, ladies. I think it was a very informative interview. And so I do have one last question before we close it down. So if our listeners <laughs> want to follow up on what they've heard today, how can they reach you? So let's start with Joanne. Thanks, Lawrence. Uh, Joanne Hathaway, I can be reached at my email at jhathaway at mail, M-A-I-L dot mishbar, M-I-C-H-B-A-R dot org. 
or I can be reached on my direct dial, which is area code 517-346-6381. And Tish? Yes, I can, I'm Tish Vincent. I can be reached at my email, which is T as in toy, Vincent, that's V as in Victor, I-N as in Nancy, C-E-N-T, at mail.mishbar.org. And my direct dial phone number is 517-346-6337. And last but not least, Julie. Hi there. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Julie Fershman, the at Julie Fershman. Uh, my website is Fershman Law, F-E-R-S-H-T-M-A-N law.com, or my law firm website, which is fosterswift.com. And that probably gives anybody enough info. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode. And I want to thank, of course, our guests for joining us and our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you've heard today, please rate us in iTunes. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Excellent, you guys. It was great. Oh, that's thank, you. Yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.